Open your Bibles with me for the reading of a psalm to the 16th Psalm. Psalm 16, used by our brother Peter in the second chapter of Acts, used by our brother Paul in the 13th chapter of Acts. The second half of the psalm is strictly the Lord Jesus Christ. First half is both David and Christ, and I hope that you can appreciate it as the psalmist, not trusting his own merits, but trusting only the merits and good favor of God, rejecting all idolatry and false worship, declares himself a true follower of the Lord God of heaven, that his portion in this world is a pleasant one and a good one, and it's based on the Lord being his inheritance and having set the lines of his life. And then it goes into a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ that God would not leave his soul in hell, meaning his body in the grave, as I'll explain very briefly in a moment. But let's all rise together as we read the precious word of God, Psalm 16 in unison. Preserve me, O God. For in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Amen Amen and amen. amen. You may be seated. David makes request for the Lord to preserve him in the first verse based on his trust in the Lord. He then goes on to say in the second verse, speaking to himself, but it's part of his prayer. O my soul, this is your testimony. Lord, hear my testimony. This is how I speak to myself. This is where I stand, Lord, as you look upon me and hear my prayer for deliverance. 
and hear my stated trust in thee. David had said to his soul, and this is how he thought about his relationship with God, Thou art my Lord. If Baal be God, then serve him. Elijah once challenged Israel. But if the Lord Jehovah is God, then serve him. And here in the second verse, David is saying very simply, The Lord Jehovah is my Lord. The Creator God of the Bible is my God. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, with all capital letters, Thou art my Lord, small O-R-D. Jehovah is my ruler. Jehovah is my God. My goodness extendeth not to thee. I do not have a claim or a right for your deliverance based on my goodness. I cannot claim it. My goodness doesn't extend to thee. Your goodness is higher than the heavens. How could I ever have goodness that would be acceptable or approvable in thy sight? So as he comes to the Lord in prayer, he comes very humbly, denying any merit on his part for God's deliverance. And he sets the Lord up where the Lord belongs, and he puts himself where he belongs. However, he then says, But my goodness may not extend to thee, and any good thing I can do is always going to be marred and imperfect, and never come into thy presence perfectly, but I can extend my goodness to your people, and so I do, and so he did. David was a man that served the church of God during his generation. To the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent, that's another descriptive word describing saints or believers, in whom is all my delight. Of all the men on earth, David did not care for worldlings. David did not care about his neighbors that did not fear God of other nations. It was the saints that put their trust in the same Lord Jehovah in whom is all my delight. They're the only friends I need. They're the only friends I want. Those that love thee. So in verse 2, my goodness doesn't extend to thee. Thou art so much higher than I am, but I will give my goodness to your people, your church, your worship, your nation. And in them is all my delight. They are the excellent of the earth. They are your chosen people. And so David made them his chosen people. Then he goes on to ridicule idolatry in the fourth verse. Their sorrows shall be multiplied. Let trouble come upon them. Trouble will come upon them that hasten after another God rather than the Lord Jehovah who was David's God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips though when I'm in trouble I might have heard how others pray. I will never pray that way. I hope everyone in this assembly and everyone who hears my voice elsewhere and at other times understands that we would never pray a Hail Mary. Even though there's 1.1 billion people on earth who call themselves Christians who pray a Hail Mary. We would never take that up in our lips except to ridicule it. We are not surprised when tsunamis hit God-rejecting nations around the world and thrash those nations and destroy them, whether it be Haiti or Indonesia or Japan, all in the last number of years. David goes on in the fifth verse to say, The Lord, back to Jehovah, all capital letters in your Bible, 
telling you a little secret that it's Jehovah that is intended. I am that I am. The Lord Jehovah is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. What I've been given in life that is valuable to me, David said, is the knowledge of the Lord Jehovah. I do not care about Muhammad or Allah. I do not care about the great spirit nor Brahma. I do not care about Buddha. I am thankful that God has given me an inheritance in the knowledge of himself. Jehovah. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. All I want, it sounds like Paul, doesn't it? All I want is a relationship with the Lord Jehovah. Well, the reason it sounds like Paul is because it's the same spirit that was in Paul was also in David, the Holy Spirit of the living God. And my cup, what's my cup or my, what is that allocated to me. What is going to be poured into my cup? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be a full measure of that goodness? David said, my cup, my portion, however you want to describe it, is knowing God. And I'm very thankful for that. That's my portion. And thou maintainest my lot. This gift that God had given to him, that he valued as his inheritance, he said God maintained it. God kept it up. And David faced so many trials and troubles in his life at times, and yet God was always there maintaining that lot as God's chosen man. God was always with David. The lines are falling into me in pleasant places. Those are property lines. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. When I look at what God has given me, I can call it my inheritance, I can call it my cup, I can call it my portion, I can call it my property lines, my heritage. All these different words meaning what I have that's valuable to me. My estate, my estate in life. What is it? The Lord, the Lord Jehovah is my God. And He maintains my lot. He defends me, He supports me, He helps me. And so David rejoices in declaring that the Lord Jehovah was his God. He wasn't like all others that worshipped false gods. He had made a choice that he would worship the Lord. And he blesses the Lord in verse 7, Who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Though there were times that David was afraid for his life, even during those times God would come to him and speak to him and give him counsel and advice. David knew what to do because God would tell him what to do. And his reins, you know what reins are for on a horse? Therefore, directing a horse. Your reins are your decision-making apparatus inside you. And here David admits that God would come and by his spirit work on those decision-making, that decision-making apparatus in David to help him make the right decision. Sometimes in the night seasons. And I often emphasize to you the importance of what you talk about and think about in bed. And I don't mean necessarily talking out loud unless you're alone. But you can talk to the Lord because there's less distraction in a dark bedroom with no cell phone, computer, telephone, or other apparatus there that's going to distract you. You can speak to Him and the Lord can speak to you because there's less noise going into your ears. There's less distraction for your eyes. 
Your heart and soul, your ears and eyes can be shut and your heart and soul totally wrapped up in God and listening to Him for His still small voice as He directs your reins on decisions you ought to make and holds you back from iniquity. As Job 33 tells us, Elihu admitted that God oftentimes does these things with men. So he's thankful that this God that was his Lord and this Lord that was his God blessed him with counsel and instructed him in the night seasons. And now we have the prophet David rising to a higher level of a prophet. And these words describe the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter quoted them in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And as Paul quoted them in Acts 13, when he was asked in the synagogue of Antioch of Pisidia to stand up and give a word of exhortation to the people. I have set the Lord always before me. Now David set the Lord always before him in an imperfect way. But the Lord Jesus Christ always set the Lord before him, the Lord Jehovah, it's all capitals again, in a perfect way. Jesus Christ of Nazareth always did those things that pleased his Father. Always. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Because Jesus Christ looked to God as his right hand, as his saving strength, as his helper and his guide and his God, he was never moved. And he experienced all kinds of temptations, difficulties, opposition, persecution, even unto death. But he was not moved because God was with him. And he was, and he had chosen to set him before his face and put him at his right hand. And because of that, God always being with him and God helping him, my heart is glad. In verse 9, my glory rejoiceth. Your heart, it's not the fist-sized muscle that is in your chest that beats 70 times a minute and pumps blood throughout your body by a witty set of canals called arteries and veins. Your heart is the center and seat of your emotions, affections, and choices based on your preferences. My heart rejoiceth. My heart that is the seat of my emotions rejoices to have God as my God and to have Him at my right hand. Perfectly true of Jesus Christ, imperfectly true of David. But when he says, my glory rejoiceth, his heart is glad. And when your heart is glad, how does your heart give vent to its gladness? Through your mouth. And your glory is your tongue. Several times in the book of Psalms, your tongue is called your glory because it is the instrument of your body that you can give glory to God. It starts in the heart. Your heart prepared in the night seasons with your reins being taught by the Lord then wants to give vent to itself through its glory. My glory rejoiceth. So look at these psalms of praise. David loved to dance with all his might. 
before the Lord under the Old Testament dispensation. My heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. What else does David have that makes up his nature? What else did Jesus Christ have that made up the whole person? My flesh also shall rest in hope, my body. My body shall rest. What kind of rest are we talking about? An afternoon nap or an eight-hour night? Or sleeping in Jesus? Death. Yes. C is the correct answer to that quiz question. C. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Future tense. My heart is glad. My glory is rejoicing or rejoiceth. And my flesh shall rest in hope. God is my God. He's at my right hand. He's given me an inheritance and a heritage like no other. He gives me counsel in the night. And even when I die and I'm sleeping in the ground, when my body's at rest, it'll be resting in hope because He's going to raise me from the dead. Verse 10, 4. How, why did his body or his flesh rest in hope? For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Soul, describing the whole person. Here, by synecdoche, the body. Hell, the grave, the place of the dead. How do we know that? By the clause that went before and the clause that comes after by looking at the other uses of the word hell in the Bible. The Bible tells parents that if they will beat their children with the rod, they can deliver their children's souls from hell. Does that mean that the book of life is filled up every time I took my son, uh, daughters and sons and spanked them? No. It means that if parents will discipline their children, they can save them from an untimely death. But I don't have more time for that. You should already know that by reading your Bibles and by hearing things that have been said to you before. Notice the last clause of verse 9, My flesh, referring to my body, shall rest in hope. The first clause of 10 giving the reason why his body would be full of hope. Then the last clause of verse 10, Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He is describing something that can corrupt. And the spirit can't corrupt, but the body can corrupt. And in between is the expression that we understand to mean God would not leave the flesh, the body, soul, by synecdoche of Jesus in the grave. The Bible says so many times, all the souls they got in Damascus, all the souls that went down into Egypt. Now, what went, what went down into Egypt? Could you see them? Or were they ghosts sneaking along? When, a, when you read about sailors and it says all hands on deck, do they bring their elbows with them? This is just common use of language. All hands on deck. What does that mean? All sailors get on deck, but they're referred to by synecdoche, which means a part of the whole. My flesh shall rest in hope. Verse 10, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. My body isn't going to be left in the ground, and that's why my flesh rests in hope. I'm not going to stay in the grave, and you're not going to suffer your holy one to see corruption. Now notice, it has shifted from David to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Holy One of God. He is not going to corrupt. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and that is eternal life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 
in a short prophecy, Jesus was raised from the dead, spent 40 years here proving himself alive by many infallible proofs, went into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God where there are pleasures forevermore. What is our portion? What is your inheritance? What is your goodly heritage? You're sitting in the house of God this day, and you are being appealed to to realize that God, Jehovah, the Lord Jehovah, has revealed Himself to you, and He has revealed His Son, Jesus Christ, to you. He has not revealed Him to all men. It is a special blessing by divine grace and sovereign choice that God has revealed Himself to you so clearly and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we ought to take that knowledge and embrace it and pursue it and seek it like Paul did, that he counted everything else loss. He made that His inheritance like David did right here. The chief desire of our soul. May the Lord bless you to do that. May you see Jesus in these verses that He set the Lord Jehovah at His right hand and He rested in hope. His heart was glad. His glory rejoiced. And when we sing, you should sing with all your might, all your joy, from a heart where you make the melody according to Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. The melody should flow from our heart by the gladness that is there through a rejoicing tongue into the ears of one another so that we can be blessed and lifted up in our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we come to church. This is why we come. To be reminded of these things. To reject all false religion in verse 4. To put our trust in the Lord. To realize that He is independent of us and does not need us. But to realize that we can love and serve others that are His. And by loving and serving others that are His, we truly love Him. Because we cannot do the one without the other. Right. And we, we're so thankful for our lines falling out in pleasant places. And the heritage that we've been given. And then we see a prophecy of the Son of David that is coming, that will be raised from the dead. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, in in one great demonstration of logical reasoning, quotes these verses, and then says, Men and brethren, down the street in the cemetery, we have a marker that says David. Now we know that David was buried, and his body's under that marker, and it has seen corruption. But this text says it will not see corruption, yet David wrote it. Ah, this is all Peter in Acts 2, part of his sermon. Ah, David was a prophet. So David was not speaking of himself, but of another. And I am here to tell you that I have seen Jesus risen from the dead. That same Jesus whom you crucified, God, raised from the dead and set him at his own right hand. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus Lord and Christ. And do you know what the people of God do when they hear a message like that? They say, men and brethren, what shall we do? Get baptized. Oh, I've got goosebumps. They were pricked in their hearts by a message like that taking Scripture and explaining it to them in a way they had never thought of before and proving that it couldn't have been David, but it had to be the son of David, Jesus Christ. But others heard the same message and they they were cut to their heart and they wanted to kill the apostles for bearing such a message. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. May the Lord bless His Word to your understanding.